people don't know what's going on at Ellis until you get in here and you see. Why is because we have teachers that care about kids and that are engaging kids, that are personalizing instruction to match students' levels, that are working with them in small groups. We have teachers that will give up time that they don't even have to, to have one conversation with a kid about something that didn't have to do with school. We have teachers that are giving their all to ensure that they're, they're thriving. It's an atmosphere where your child is going to be loved, they will be nurtured, they will get skills on how to navigate this cold world, but they will also learn and, and, and have fun doing so. I've always wanted Ellis to be a place where, despite where we're located and what people may think, our parents could be proud. I think sometimes our families feel like, well, you know, we're low income, so we get we get the bottom of the barrel. We get, you know, whatever we get based on our circumstances. It's not fair to them. Their neighborhood school should thrive just as well as any other school in this district or out of this district. I always want our parents to be proud. Their circumstances will not um, decrease the educational experience that their child is going to receive. Welcome to the 205 Vibe Podcast. And today we have with us the Fabulous Taryn Turner, who is the principal at Ellis Elementary School. And we're very pleased that she has joined us today. How you doing? I'm fine. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule uh, to spend some time talking with us. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you being here. So let's just let's just jump right in. Right? Okay. Let's go. <laughs> let's just go. <laughs> um, so you just first you know, talk about your, how you got started in education, teaching, uh, this, this path, this line of work. Um, you know, how'd you get started? What was your, you know, what drew you to this and how, and how did you end up here where you are today? I actually had a very interesting and non-traditional path into this field. Um, I did not, you know, you grow up and you think, okay, when I grow up, I'm going to be a teacher. Um, that was not, what my thought was, I actually didn't know um, what I was going to do. Um, fortunately, I had had very positive school experiences myself. And so whatever journey I took, um, I knew that somehow it would involve education in, in some way or another. Um, my background is actually in law and politics. Um, I have a bachelor's degree from U of I in Champaign in political science. Great school. Um, yes. Shout out to the Illini. <laughs> my, my youngest brother graduated from there, so yes, excellent school. All right. Uh -huh. Yes, that's that's my alma mater and very proud of it. But um, I, I did. I started in political science. I actually went to law school okay. for a year after undergrad. Um, and... I got there, and it was nothing like what I expected. It was boring, and <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to take this path because it's what I should do, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I moved back home, <laughs> and I took some time to figure it out. And um, I ended up in education because I had a job at the Family Resource Center, which is today's Welcome Center. Okay, okay. Um, that was early 2000s, around 2005. Okay. And that was really eye-opening. I got to see a lot of different um, families and learn all about our schools and RPS and our special programs and what would cause one parent to choose a specific school over another because at that time it was the choice assignment plan. Um, and so it was while I was working there that I decided, you know what, education is where I'm supposed to be. And I went back to Rockford University and got a master's degree um, to teach in 2008 
and I taught. I started at Stiles Elementary, which is now closed, but I, I taught fifth grade there. Um, that was baptism by fire. It is, <laughs> it is what made me, you know, triumphant and resilient to do this work. And I always try to keep my teaching experiences in the forefront of my mind. So yeah. I remember, I remember Styles, and and so th- you know, lucky for us, and you know, thankfully uh, for the Rockford Public School District that you made that decision, and we're very, very fortunate to have you. So that's interesting. That's an interesting path. Um, are you? Are you? How long have you been the principal here now? Three years. Three years. Are you from Rockford? Yes. So you were you born and raised from Rockford? Not born, but, but pretty much. It's a long story, but, but I... you would consider yourself from Rockford. Absolutely. Graduated reason, from Jefferson High School. Okay. Okay. Yep. So, the, so the reason I ask is you, you know, you know, you're in, you know, the, in this area at, at Ellis at this particular school, um, um, and and every school kind of is different, has its own kind of vibe. We like to say mm-hmm. its own feel. Ellis has its own kind of vibe, um, in particularly its location, the staff here, the students. How would you describe the vibe here at Ellis? The vibe here is um, it's one of connectedness. There is a feeling that you get when you walk into Ellis. It's hard to describe. You just mm-hmm. feel it. Mm-hmm. You feel the love. You feel the concern. You feel the need. Um, teachers at Ellis are here because they want to be here. They mm-hmm. realize it's not a job, it's a mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we love our children, and we know that um, to show that love, the best gift that we can give them is a quality education. But we, we first have to build those relationships with them and understand where they're coming from. So mm-hmm. we're, we're just, we're connected. Everybody that's at Ellis, they, they know um, what is coming through the door each day. And if you're not up to that challenge, um, then this is not a place where you're going to feel comfortable or fit in. You know, let me follow up on that. I, I'm glad you went that, down that direction. Um, you know, because, because you know, one of the things I've, you know, I've been here, I've volunteered here. Uh, you know, I just love this neighborhood, this area. You, those of us who grew up here, we, we consider this just kind of part of the, you know, the kind of the heart of yes. the city, heart of the hood. Um, one of the things that we're doing at the district is we talk about this. We're doing this net promoter score, right? The private sector uses it. Um, just this idea, would the people who work here promote your school or promote the district you work in? One of the things I noticed about Ellis is, and that range went from as low as negative 80 to as high as plus 80 something, 80 plus. Ellis has a high, a plus net promoter score, meaning that the teachers here recommend, would recommend this for a, as a place to work and to send their kids. Um, why do you, you, you kind of described a little bit of that. Well, why do you think that? Why, why is, why is that? people feel so positive about working here? I feel like because we are connected in the work that we do, uh, we support one another. And so um, we just have a commonality and we understand the struggle, so to speak, in that the experience is the same for anybody that's here. And that alone is what we use to support one another. Um, I try to give as much feedback as I can to teachers. I try to stay in tune. I never want to be that administrator that's so far removed from the building that they don't know what's going on. And so I speak to the teachers, good morning. I'm talking to them, tell me what's on your mind. I'm doing my walkthroughs and giving feedback. Like I just, I, I celebrate them as well. I mean, our first grade team had almost 70% of students meeting their projected scores Woo, in red right. on math. Yeah, so that's, just really let them know, like we, we see you and mm-hmm. we know that your work is hard and every day you show up, you don't, you don't 
don't get, you know, an accolade or a cookie, but it's sure. like you you are getting outcomes and they will be celebrated. That's that is wonderful to hear and that you know that that type of leadership that and and that you support your staff in that way. Um so we, we talk about, um, you know, in education and, and oftentimes uh, students, uh, particularly who go to attend school in this zone, I'll call it, um, are often stereotyped as minority, uh, low income. Um, what, what would you say are some of the biggest barriers for those students who are stereotyped in that way to uh, achieve high standards in academics? Um, is, is, that, is that a fair is that a fair assessment? So it's actually a fact that our students are minority and in low income overwhelmingly. Um, but that fact does not excuse um, the fact that they are expected to attain certain levels of achievement instructionally. And so what we realize at Ellis is that we have to prepare them to be ready to learn, okay? Uh, and, and that means looking at what they're dealing with and what they're coming through our door with. Before we can teach them, we have to understand how to set them up for success and get them ready to receive the lesson, okay? Um, right now, our, our huge focus is social-emotional learning. Um, the odds are against our students statistically. When you talk minority, when you talk in poverty, when you talk all of the, the, the ailments that are out there, um, statistically, they're not in the favor of our students. So our job is to get you successful for the world. Um, right now, we're focusing on our social-emotional push. Uh, we have a secure classroom, which is a restorative practice room where students just learn about functioning successfully in society. They learn about how their actions impact others. They learn just how to navigate this world. Um, and so that's, that's our push, is teaching the whole child. We're going to give you the instructional piece, but we're also going to develop your character in teaching them what the world sees them as when they step out of our doors. So we, I, I hear that a lot. We, we, you know, that's kind of a, a term that is often used. And um, I think a lot of people are just trying to understand when we hear social emotional, our, our students experience lots of trauma and it's, um, and so we know that that exists, and and I hear you saying, you know, despite that, you know, we're still going to teach you, and we're going to equip you with the tools you need to be successful. Talk a little bit more about that social emotional piece. Um, wh why is that? Why is that so prevalent in our system? Um, where, you know, I, I, educated teachers feel it. Those who are with our kids, um, just can you just talk a little bit more about what that's like when you see that on a on a day to day basis. What does that look like, um, you know, when you see it come through the doors? Sure. So social emotional, um, being that that is our focus, we are trying to assist students through that realm as much as they're helping us understand it. So what I mean by that is our students have experienced a significant amount of trauma and crisis at such a young age. And unfortunately, children don't have the skills to know how to cope with some of what they're dealing with that's been subjected upon them that they're not even in control of. Um, so we feel like it's our responsibility to let them know, you know, we're going to, we're gonna get through this. We're here for you. We're gonna give you strategies. We're gonna teach you about what is going on and we're gonna give you alternatives because it's, 
It's something that we have to understand to make the necessary growth, but we can't use that as our excuse not to succeed at the same time. What is that? How do you identify it, though? You know, for because we oh, hear it, but yeah. but 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 is there is it a behavior? Oh, is absolutely. It, is it, I mean, what is it when people say we hear that social emotional yeah, trauma? Yeah, it manifests so how do you, how do you so know many that? ways. Um, it might be a kid that comes to the door and their head is hung low and they're just not talking in that morning. Um, it might be a kid that throws a chair across the room out of frustration. It might be a kid that when their shoe gets stepped on, instead of saying, I'm sorry or excuse me, it resorts to physical uh, actions. So it looks a variety okay. of ways. Okay. Thank you for that. I mean, this because I hear that. I'm just trying to, you know, to under, try to help. Our listeners understand. Absolutely. Uh, like, how does that manifest itself in a school or in a classroom? Oh, yeah. And because it, it, it doesn't have a particular look it can be any so it could be a kid that is um, that is hungry. They didn't get breakfast this morning or they got cussed out on their way to getting on the bus or didn't have somebody at home to get them prepared and ready for a successful day. And so that's what can at times take away from the focus of the instruction. And so it's our job to center back into here's what you might be going through and here's how we're going to give you some strategies to overcome it. You you mentioned, um, and so that, that was my next question about how do you combat that? And you talked a little bit about do you feel – um, the, you know, your secure class, you know, the, that, that approach, the restorative uh, approach, is that just, is that a, ta- a tactic or do you feel that that is something that has been, have you seen success with that? I, I'm sure people are wondering, you know, what, what do you do when you see some of those behaviors and how do you, how do you handle that in this school with your, with your staff? You know, what do you think is the best way to kind of deal with some of that? Because you're not necessarily all psychologists or exactly. social workers. Right. Um, you know, we talked about your training and not everybody's equipped to handle that. And so how do you deal with that as a, as a unit, as a staff? Yeah. So first, um, I, I do know that it has been successful and the discipline data indicates that our incidence of um, referrals and suspensions have decreased drastically this year um, because we have that secure classroom in place. So what we've done is we um, have partnered with community organizations. We have partnered with Youth Services Network, and they offer a lot of that um, behavioral therapy type piece. They give the strategies to the students that are referred there, um, and we also have a teacher in that classroom. So it's a mixture of restorative practices and education. when I say social emotional teaches us as much as it teaches the students, our adults also receive training. Mm-hmm. Um, we go through restorative circles. We learn about strategies. Sometimes at our monthly PLCs, we as a staff will go in that room and the teachers in there and the therapists give us professional development because we have to understand what our kids are going through. And so often it can be misidentified. We see a kid just you know, exhibit a behavior, and it's like, oh, they're not listening. They're being disruptive. Well, that's true, but what happened to that kid to make them feel like their only alternative was to resort to physical? So we've had we've had lots of you know we've had several interviews now, and we're very, very fortunate to talk to a, you know a wide variety of folks. Um, one of the things that we 
I've heard from some of the some of the people we've interviewed is this idea that the race of the teacher or the educator matters. Um, I'm curious as to your thoughts. Do you think that it matters uh, the fact that you being in a predominantly African American uh, building uh, with, with the predominantly African-American students, do you think that it matters that you are an African-American woman um, when it comes to how you approach your work I or, or being effective? I certainly do. Okay. I certainly do. Um, again, that connectedness that you feel when you walk in here, um, a lot of that has to do with the fact that teachers can look at staff that look like them. Um, they can see a minority classroom teacher. They can see minority administrators. They can see minority teachers in specials, art, music, PE. Um, and they need positive examples of what that looks like because so often they don't get that um, where they're coming from. They need to know that this is a reality. And that's why I'm proud to be from Rockford and to be leading Ellis because if, if if I'm not going to do it, who mm. is? I mm. mean, if we all try to get out of Rockford, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. what are we investing in in our community? And so that's very important to me. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it's, it's just it's necessary. You know, you can't say you didn't have a positive example when, you know, you, you can see that on a daily basis. And not just African-American. I'm going to go as far as to say I pride myself. I have Hispanic staff. I have um, Asian staff. I have a variety of, of different ethnicities cities that are, are teaching at Ellis because mm-hmm. so. that's the because that's always the I guess the counterbalance or the other side of the story if you will mm-hmm. it it's it's this idea that yes it matters that students see um, African Americans in certain positions whether it's the principal whether it's a teacher but it all it doesn't mean that um, individuals of other races don't also have the same compassion or, or also can't be effective in teaching African-American children. I mean, do, do you understand some of that, that balance that, you know, it just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a matter of the heart um, oftentimes, as you just kind of described with your, you have a very diverse staff, yes. but you know that they care about the students that they're with. Absolutely. Absolutely. The bottom up line is relationships. And if students have somebody that they know cares about them and that they can connect with, they are going to, to succeed more likely than not. Um, and that relationship does not necessarily prescribe to a specific color. It's just nice that students can see somebody that looks like them um, that have had success in their professional lives. Would you recommend Ellis to your to your family and friends? Would you recommend that they you know would send their send their students here? Without a doubt. Why? Because people don't know what's going on at Ellis until you get in here and you see. Why is because we have teachers that care about kids and that are engaging kids, that are personalizing instruction to match students' levels, that are working with them in small groups. We have teachers that will give up time that they don't even have to to have one conversation with a kid about something that didn't have to do with school. We have teachers that are giving their all to ensure that they're they're thriving. It's an atmosphere where your child is going to be loved. They will be nurtured. They will get skills on how to navigate this cold world, but they will also learn and, and, and have fun doing so. I've always wanted Ellis to be a place where, despite where we're located and what people may think, our parents could be proud. I think sometimes our families feel like, well, 
you know, we're low income, so we get we get the bottom of the barrel. We get, you know, whatever we get based on our circumstances. It's not fair to them. Their neighborhood school should thrive just as well as any other school in this district or out of this district. I always want our parents to be proud. Their circumstances will not um, decrease the educational experience that their child is going to receive. That was very well said. That was, <laughs> that was <Thank> you. <laughs> very well said. You know, you so just listening to you talk, you just you keep my my brain my brain is <laughs> is wondering. You got me. But you brought up something interesting there um, when you talked about it, because that's because that's true and that's fascinating. This idea that you know, based on your location of where you either live or where you where you go to school. Um, this idea of not having the same resources or there, there's a sense of uh, inferiority or there, it's not equal as it is in other places. Um, so it's always been kind of a knock and on not just our school systems, but, you know, across our country and our state. What, what do you how do you think we've done there? I mean, the district, do you is that still an issue and inequity of resources or, or, or in, in equities in, in terms of um you know, staff, uh, do you think that's still an issue in our system? I do. I do. I, I am hopeful. Um, I am seeing some, um, some things in place that are going to help address some of the historical implications. Um, I know that there will be some financial resources given to schools that have, um, teachers that may not have had many years of experience. And so that's going to be a plus. Uh, The district is also having a conversation around equity, and Ellis has just formed an equity team where we're looking at what can we do within our building um, to support our students and, and ensure that equity exists. But that just starts with staff understanding what equity is and also, like, identifying their own um, circumstances around race and culture and school experiences. And that's, that's a tough conversation to have. Um, but it's, it's necessary. You, you cannot do this work successfully if you don't acknowledge that, if you don't acknowledge the disparities. And in their defense, a lot of times they just don't know. They, if, you, if you haven't experienced it, how do you expect somebody to know what it's like to be a minority? Because if you're not one and you haven't had that circumstance, you, it, it's hard to, to empathize. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank, um, you know, one, so we often, you know, the other thing we do in education, we, 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 um, we, we hear, um, you know, many observers just talk about parents, right? Parenting and parents. Um, we don't get to pick our parents. Um, is, and, and so we, when you look at certain school districts and, you know, those who, you know, do well and uh, considered uh, whether it's standardized testing or graduation rates, you can often kind of trace it back to kind of the family uh, makeup. Right. The, uh, and so or and who or who are someone's parents? Is that you know, is that a, is that a fair is that a an excuse? Is that reality? Is that a cop out? Does it does it matter who your parents are? for a, a student to be successful and to be able to learn is that is it because we always say well you know it's yeah. the parents yeah. it's the parents well we kind of know that's a given right right, right. You have parents and so that. is that just something that you know as an educator in your role you just have to deal with 
Yeah, I mean, you, you do have to deal with it. Um, my answer to that question is yes and no. I mean, yes, parents do matter significantly, right? I mean, they are their child's first teacher. And the values that they instill in their children are the values that they carry with them as they enter their school years that we then, at Ellis, seek to enhance even more. So it certainly matters. However, just like you said, you can't choose your parents. You're born to who you're born to. And your circumstances are your circumstances. So so at some point, we believe in taking responsibility for self, and it's our job as educators here at Ellis to, to kind of fill in those pieces, but also pull the parents in. I love my parents, and they know they can call, they can come and request to talk to Ms. Turner. I mean, we get real, and we have some <laughs> real conversations. I just had one. <laughs> Before I came in here to sit down and talk with you, Mr. Dotson. And it was a real conversation. But you know what? I'm not going to go just out of confidentiality. I'm not going to go into detail what we talked about. Right. But that parent came in defensive. Mm. And she felt like people were looking at her. Mm -hmm. And they're pointing fingers and judging her. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, that's not what I'm about. Just let, just let me help you. Because here's how this is impacting your child. So because you and I both want the same thing, which is your daughter to be successful, let me help you. Okay, you, you ain't got to tell me all about what happened that makes the circumstance what it is. We know what it is. So let me help you fix it. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that, uh, because that that's one of the things when, you know, doing these these interviews, these podcasts is getting to know a little bit of a peek behind the scenes sometimes. Um, so, yes, thank you for. And, and we did talk about, you know, you your conversation you were having with the parent uh, along those same lines. Um, would you consider what, what are some of your, you know, people think, you know, sometimes, you know, people don't know what a principal does. They every don't know. Day. <laughs> what, what would you say uh, are those types of incidents your biggest challenges? What would you say, you know, some of the things uh, would you describe as, as just, uh, you know, some of your biggest challenges on a day to day basis? My biggest challenges as a principal? Yes, Ooh. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, Keep it so real. Let's, let's go there. Time. Time. Okay. Time. Because the need is so great, right? So you've got parents. First of all, you know, what's interesting is um, just focusing on that parent piece is a lot of times our families don't know all the resources that are available to them um, or their support system is very small or non-existent. And so sometimes, you know, parents will just call and be like, "Miss Turner, here's what's going on. Here's what I need. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways, it's like I have additional responsibilities to them aside from what exists on that job description. Absolutely. Okay? <laughs> um, yeah. Absolutely. So you never know. Any given day, I always have my day planned, so mm -hmm. to speak, on my calendar. And then you walk through the door and anything goes down. So I just try to be present. Um, but time is definitely because it's like as soon as the day starts, we do our morning meeting. Um, and then I can do anything from... Be in the hallways, uh, dealing with discipline, uh, responding to something that has to get done administratively, right? So those are the tasks where we're looking at meeting deadlines and finishing responsibilities just as being an administrator. Um, and then you still have your, your building responsibilities. you got lunch duty. You've got walkthroughs. You just want to kind of keep a... a, a a grip on what's going on in your building. I don't ever want to be disconnected. I like to be right here at Ellis. That's where I prefer to be. That's where I prefer. Oh. Speaking of which, <laughs> and I can see just sitting sitting here just talking to you, you know, I see the excitement. Uh, just you enjoy your work. Um, what would you say? How would you how would you describe some of your biggest rewards or, or 
joy, what brings you joy. Um, you know, we, we always talk about challenges and some of the tough stuff, but I know there are times that you absolutely um, are happy and, and, and joyous about your work. What are some of those moments like? Absolutely. I This is what keeps me going in the work. Um, anytime a kid demonstrates success, um, we have a great need. And a lot of times you'll look at a student and you see them come in. I was just talking to a young man the other day. And uh, when he first started here, whoa, we had a lot of work to do. But we've had multiple meetings with his parent and we've talked with his teachers and we just have overall wrapped our arms around him. And to look at him now, you wouldn't be able to tell he's that same student that walked through our door about three years ago in the state that he was in. Um, so those are those are the moments where it's like it, it doesn't happen immediately, but you can always see success. You can see growth. I have success in a teacher that, you know, figured out a new strategy um, instructionally, and now students are responding a lot better. Um, in spite of what numbers indicate, uh, we, we, and we're always growing to, to reach our attainment and have significant growth, but in spite of that, there are so many moments that are indicated on a MAP score or on a, a PARC score of our students showing growth and being triumphant. That's what keeps me grounded in the work. You know, and you, and you brought those up. And just, again, for the, our listeners, you know, MAP is, a, is a, an assessment uh, on, a, on student growth and achievement. And then the PARC is the state standardized test. Um, do you think uh, standardized testing is an accurate measurement of uh, where a student is or a student's growth or does it measure intelligence or how successful this child is going to be um do you think that it's a it's 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 a is it necessary and is, is it appropriate look I, I understand why they do it right there has to be some form of accountability and the state needs to be able to say we have a measure and this is what the, the measure at which we look at students um and and what they've attained but i do not feel like it is an accurate snapshot of a child's true profile. It never is. Myself, as an educator who did very well in school, I did not overwhelmingly perform high on standardized tests. You have to look at the circumstances around those tests, right? First of all, you have to account for a possible cultural bias. A lot of times there's stories that are talking about stuff that our students half of them don't even leave their neighborhood. And then you expect them to take a test and understand what it's like to go on a skiing trip. Like, no, they're not relevant a lot of times to our students' real world. Um, secondly, because you just read the test and you answer the question as best as you know how, a lot of times there's just misunderstanding of the test itself. Not the content, but you might not understand what they're asking you. Whereas, whereas when a student's in a small group with their teacher in a guided reading lesson, or something, they can ask those questions and the teacher can prompt. So when clarity is gained, then they're going to answer better. Um, also, stamina has a lot to do with it. You're just sitting there and you're just reading and you're 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 getting exhausted. And so, um, I mean, I, I get why it happens and it's necessary, but I feel like there ought to be other measures that are considered because I know for a fact, and, and anybody can come in here and see it, that our students are doing a lot better than what that test indicates in that one moment at the end of the year. Um. Because that, because again, you were talking about you bringing students along in a continuum, and you take them as they are, 
And do you feel that that is the work of the, of the, of teaching and learning is, you, you know, you know, I'm going to hear, I have this student, here's where they are. And here's where we're going to take them from the time that we have them. Um, is that, how would you describe that work? Is that what it looks like? Cause we have students who, who are at varying levels. Um, and, and so how does that differentiation look? Um, in a building, uh, in a classroom where you have students at all different levels and you're just trying to, you know, get them to that next plat- that next level of learning. Absolutely. So um, that differentiation is very broad. We have a standard deviation on average of about 14. And what that means is um, the higher your standard deviation number, the more ranges of ability you have in your room. Um, anything over 10 is... Um, getting quite broad for differentiation. Uh, what does that look like? Well, we've got supports at Ellis, and, and that helps combat all the varying ranges. It is still a teacher's responsibility to instruct a student at their level. What helps with that is having certain curriculum to do so. Um, Edgenuity, known as Compass Learning, is an electronic curriculum, and it's based on the student's MAP score. And so they have reading and math assignments at their level. Um, according to their RIT score. So that is one piece that helps the differentiation. Um, But in reading groups, teachers take students according to their letter level, and so they differentiate there. Um, They see multiple groups a day. We have a Title I teacher who does um, what we call academic RTI. So if a student's not understanding a grade-level objective or a skill, then they get additional instruction from a tutor where they work in a smaller group on that. Um, We've got our after-school program. Um, Of course, again, our secure classroom, while the focus there is social-emotional, there's also an academic component built into the day. And the hope is that when they get back in the classroom, then they are more apt to succeed. So. Just a couple more questions, and I really, really appreciate your time. It's fun, but I just want, <laughs> but, I, but I want to revisit something you said because I think it's um, it's 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 very important. We, you know, we live, you know, living here in the city of Rockford, and you know, as with the time we both have, you know, we've spent here, and understanding the importance of diversifying our workforce, particularly in different professions and different leadership levels. Um, one of the things that I know many employers are always looking for, um, you know, that, you know, looking for, for African-Americans, looking for a diverse workforce. And I know that it's something that it's a goal of the districts. What do you think some of the challenges are? You know, we often hear that, hey, it's right. Because you, know, you mentioned you know, what if, if everybody leave. Right. I mean, yeah. We hear that everybody want to go where, to Dallas or Atlanta. <laughs> yes. I want to go to here and go there the East Coast. Um so if everybody leaves, who's here? Why do you is that is that a, why is that difficult? Because I know that we're working hard to try to find um, you know a diverse workforce. What are some of the challenges though? If you're a young African American, uh, male or female, uh, to come here and, and teach or work in Rockford, um, is that why is that? Do you think that's a is that is that a challenge? Okay, this is like a three-part answer, but I'll, but I'll, but I'll, I'll make it quick. Work with me here. Work the, with the me. The first part is this. When you are a minority that is successful and you are from Rockford, the sentiment is that you get out of here because it's like you made it. You made it to, to be successful, and so now you need to take your talents across the country, go to New York City, go to L.A., go to Chicago, but you need to, to go because the community is not one that is going to nurture you. Mm. So my second part is strong right there. My second part (laughs) is why 
Is the community overwhelmingly not one that nurtures our young people? We got Transform Rockford, Alignment Rockford, and all this other stuff. And I'm not knocking any of them because sure. I believe that their initiatives are are pure. And but but it's something about the community where people don't want to to stay. They don't see it as something that will further develop them. And so from a young educated person's perspective, they're looking at areas where they feel that they professionally have more options. So I feel like something in the community needs to exist. Um, and then the third part is recruitment. I don't know what's being done overwhelmingly to uh, recruit and incentivize our minorities to, to be here and to stay here. Fortunately, I was just simply motivated by this is where I'm from and no place like home. But, <laughs> but at the end of the day... Mm. You know, if you've got other options out there that are giving you more incentive, why stay when you're young and you're educated? So what are we doing to recruit and to incentivize? Man. (laughs) (laughs) Woo. That was deep. (laughs) You know, I just love the way you put that because it's so, it's real and it's true. And, um, you know, and I just think you have to be realistic about trying to recruit you know, young minorities to be here. And I like what you said about this, this nurturing component, because it sounds, you know, geographic, the location, it matters. It's not just, just the, the weather, right? Right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't necessarily help all the time, nah, not at but, all. We, but we know people to your point, go to other places that are cold. Um, but it's this idea of where they can be nurtured and feel like they're a part of the community. I think, yes. I think that was, that was wonderful how you put that. So thank you. Um, Last thing, this is just for fun. All this right, is my, just some fun. fun. It's a fun questions. It's just so you know, just to get, get this, so we can get to know you just a little bit okay. more, a little bit better. Oh, no. So, um, go Taryn. Say if it's your birthday, go Taryn. It's your birthday. And you want to go out to your and, and ha- whether it's a dinner or a, a, if you're going to have a meal at home. What's like your favorite dish? What would be your go-to meal? Like I want this. Ooh. Um, I love meat and veggies mm. and I'm a big seafood person. Okay. I love some salmon, uh, good lobster tail. Yummy. Um, but I could do a nice steak too, cooked medium with some little asparagus <laughs> on the side. So yeah. So between I'm, those three, so you seafood. Yeah. Or you can also eat a good steak. Correct. What about if you're at, um, at home and you, you lay back, you're relaxing, you got some time to yourself. What are you watching on TV? Do you have a favorite movie? Do you have a, a, fa- a TV show that you like? What would you be watching on, on television? Ah, I'm not really much of a TV person, but I do, when I when I get a chance, I watch a little bit. Um, I I like the Blackish Grownish series. I don't know if you're, but so the show Blackish, okay. it's it's great because it like talks about these political issues, but then it also like has some humor in it. Okay. And then their oldest daughter, um, Zoe, is now off to college, and so she's got this this show called Grownish, and she's just kind of talking about what young millennials are going through as okay. they're just embarking. So that's just interesting because again, it's got that humor and it's got that uh, that that political piece too. Okay, um, blackish. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and then lastly, um, if 
you know, if we we jump in your ride or <laughs> oh we no, not your, my playlist. If <laughs> we listen to your iPod, <laughs> <laughs> you know what, what you bumping? I mean, what you what's man, your, what, listen what you now, now you gonna look. I love me some Cardi B. I love Cardi. I ain't gonna lie. I love me some Cardi. Cardi gets me on the treadmill. Cardi gets me hyped up for whatever. I'm for real. I love my playlist. Actually, it's very very eclectic. I grew up. My dad is like a music connoisseur. Okay. So like real jazz music, real old school. I mean, he's got all kinds of prints. So anything from jazz to to some prints. I, I grew up in like late 80s, early 90s. So you might get a little Errol Smith and Bon Jovi, okay, a little rock okay, and roll. Okay, okay I got that's that side up. too. That's but then up. sometimes I just like some straight ratchet <laughs> hood. I want a... Uh, 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 Two chains. Okay, all that. <laughs> Future, I love it. I love Drake. Yeah, the it. principal said it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. That because that's we we're, we're people, right? And we we are who we are, and we gonna keep it real. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Taryn Turner. Thank you so much for your time today. I really really appreciate it. Thank you, uh, you know, for for your candor and just being honest. And so we really appreciate that. Thank you for coming. It was a great experience. It's a lot of fun. All right. Have a wonderful, enjoy the rest of your day and enjoy and keep doing, keep up the great work you're doing here at Ellis. Thank you. It's a fabulous job. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on the 205 Vibe Podcast. If you'd like to comment on the show, please call us at 815-490-4117. Leave us a voice message and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening. <laughs>